Hi, my name's Grant Fishbook, and I am honored to be the lead teaching pastor here at Christ the King Church in Bellingham, Washington. Thank you so much for choosing to access this online content today. We really hope you'll enjoy this message. One of our values here at Christ the King is biblical face-to-face -face community. And so while we are so excited that you joined us today online, I really want to encourage you. Make sure that this is never a replacement for face-to-face -face biblical community. Your story matters, you matter, and we want to see you get connected in a local church. Now, if you're here in our area, we would love to have you join us at any one of our five campuses. But if you find yourself outside of the Bellingham area, we really want you to get connected into a local church. So we hope and pray that that happens for you very, very soon. Well, I want to welcome everybody here on Saturday night. It's great to see you guys, uh, especially on a long weekend. The fact that you came and hung out with us is fantastic. I'd like to thank uh, not only those of you that are here in the room, but those of you that are watching online as well, especially if you are a veteran who is watching online, we thank you. We had an opportunity to honor our brothers and sisters here in the room, but we want to honor you as well. And uh, mom and dad, if you're watching, hi. Dad, thank you for your service. I definitely appreciate that. Would love for you to be praying as well. We have a large group of students who are gone this weekend. Our Ecclesia retreat is in full swing uh, down at a Krista camp called Cedar Springs down south. Uh, they have over 150 plus that are there. Um, Garrett tells us that the amazing things are happening already and God is moving in that place. So if you'd be praying for our students, we'd certainly appreciate that. A couple of weeks ago, I am sitting in a coffee shop on a Saturday morning. When the television that was hanging in the corner of that particular restaurant started showing live pictures of the mass shooting at the synagogue in Pittsburgh. As live images began to flash across the screen, the entire coffee shop went dead quiet. And we all watched together as another tragedy unfolded right in front of our eyes. And in the moments that followed, I just paid attention to what happened at the tables around me. Within minutes at the table next to me, a conversation broke out that went borderline anti-Semitic very, very quickly. I heard somebody say out loud, why would anyone choose to be a Jew? At another table, gun policies were bantered back and forth and blame for what happened in Pittsburgh was quickly assigned to politicians in Washington. At another table, they took about a 15-second break from their Settlers of Catan game and then went right back to rolling dice. And in the middle of the room, I watched a lady 
who watched what was happening on TV, put her hands, her head into her hands, and then she just sobbed. I would describe the room as hopeless. Lots of questions about the condition of the world and very few answers that actually made sense. I think we've all been in rooms like that. Rooms where it just feels hopeless. Rooms where we wish we could say out loud, where we wish we had the courage to stand up and remind people the world may be broken, but God is not. That there's hope in the midst of the hopelessness of the world. This weekend, I want to take you to a moment in Scripture when I believe the word hopeless would have been completely appropriate. Just like in the hopeless conversations of that coffee shop in our Bible, when we open it, we find a hopeless conversation that that happens in a real spot with real people in a real historical account. It actually happens very specifically seven miles outside of Jerusalem on the road to a place called Emmaus. If you ever come with me to Israel, the last place we will stop is at a beautiful stone church on a stretch of road on the way to Emmaus as we head from Jerusalem to Tel Aviv to fly back home again. On that spot, two people lose their hope and then find it again. And I hope tonight as you come and join with me that you don't lose your hope. I hope and pray that you find it again. Dr. Luke writes these words in the 24th chapter of his book. And let me set the stage. What we're about to read happens three days after the crucifixion of Jesus. The followers of Jesus had hoped that Jesus was going to put all the pieces of Israel's story back together again. But instead of breaking the stranglehold of Roman domination, they watched Jesus die. And the truth is, their hope died with him. Sure, there were some rumors floating around that Jesus wasn't really dead. There were some rumors floating around about a resurrection, but there was nothing concrete. And so, with no reason to stay in Jerusalem, I mean, after all, their Messiah was dead and so was his movement. They, They ran away. And now we find them tired from running, just walking. And they're headed for home. Because why in the world would you stay in Jerusalem with a dead and hopeless cause? And the Bible tells us what happens. It reads, now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. Let's take a break. In just a moment, we're going to find out that one of these two people is a man by the name of Cleopas, or Clopas, depending on which version of the Bible you use. What's interesting is if you recognize his name, it's because you're actually paying attention. The Bible tells us that at the crucifixion of Jesus, there was a woman there. Her name was Mary, and she's identified as the wife of Cleopas. Bible scholars widely hold to the belief that the two in this particular story are actually a husband and wife walking back home together. In the story, it describes them as having a discussion. The original language is actually a whole lot stronger than that. It would describe it not as a discussion, but as a dispute. There's a tension going on between husband and wife. And if you're married, don't pretend you don't understand how that goes, okay? They're disputing. There's tension between the two of them. You can imagine she had been present at the crucifixion, and now he's probably peppering her with questions, but they're both just asking the question, where in the world did our hope go? Verse 15 says, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. 
but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together? Basically, what are you fighting about as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. Everyone in this room, you've been, you've been there in a place where, where you thought life was going a certain direction and now you find yourself standing still looking at the ground because you're not exactly sure what happened because your hope went another direction. We had hoped that the diagnosis would be benign. We had hoped that the marriage would be restored. We'd hoped that the miscarriages would stop. We would hope that our kids were gonna make different choices. We were hope and then reality hits us and hope goes away and we end up standing still by ourselves staring at the ground. All of us have been there. Verse 18 says, one of them named Cleopas, there he is, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? Modern translation, have you been living under a rock? In reality, he'd actually been behind a rock for three days. Stick with the story, all right? What things he asked. I mean, can you imagine Cleopas? You don't have a clue. Where in the world have you been? Don't you watch CNN? I mean, there was this rabbi. He showed up and, and everything went sideways. And now they crucified him. And we thought we had invested our whole life to follow this guy. And now he's dead. What in the world are we going to do? You know what he's saying here? He's saying hope is lost. You've been there. I've been there. Hope is lost. Now listen to him talk about the things that have been going on. The Bible says this, about Jesus of Nazareth. He said, what things about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. I was not planning on preaching this passage this weekend. It's something completely different planned next week. And I ran into this in my quiet time early Monday morning. And these were the words that just grabbed me as I read it. It was as if they were there for the very first time. They crucified him, verse 21. But we had hoped, we'd hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. There it is again. We'd hoped for a different outcome. We hoped that the addiction wasn't going to win again. We'd hoped that the economy would shift. We'd hoped that the shootings would stop. We'd hoped that we wouldn't be living in this reality right now. I know I'm not the only one. Nod your head if you've ever had that moment. when it just, I just didn't think I was going to be here. Maybe you can resonate with my new definition of life. I'll put it this way. It's a journey down a road that I never thought I would be on today. Anybody else relate to that? It's a journey down a road. I just didn't think I was going to be right here. It's a hopeless moment. And I'm going to tell you something. You can get lost in that moment, but I want to remind you of something. There are not two people on the road. There's three. And the presence of the third person changes everything. Because in a moment, Jesus is going to start talking to these hopeless people. My prayer is that that same Jesus will talk to you tonight. I know I need him to talk to me. So we're just going to let him talk. Listen to Cleopas. Keep talking. He goes, and what's more? It's the third day since all of this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning. 
So just think about this. It's the morning of that day when the women went to the tomb and the tomb was empty. It's in the same day. Do you know why I love the timing of this? For so many of us, we pray that hope shows up early. Has anyone else experienced that often hope comes late? Late in the day. But this is how raw this is. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they did not see Jesus. They came and told us something cool was happening. We got our hopes up again. We got our hopes up again. The ladies from our group went and saw, and yeah, the tomb is empty, but they didn't see Jesus there. Somebody saw some angels, and the angels said Jesus was alive, but no Jesus, no proof, so we're going home. This story would be horrible if it ended right there. It would be horrible, but here it comes. The moment that is worth waiting for, Cleopas and his wife and this stranger having a conversation. Where have you been? Don't you know what's going on? And now all of a sudden, the stranger is going to say, oh, I know what's been going on. Way before this whole Jerusalem thing even happened, you need to go all the way back to the beginning of a book. This is what's going to happen. Jesus is going to start building a foundation because hope has a foundation. He's going to start building a new story of hope for these two dejected followers who just don't know what's going on. To all the feelers in the room, I need you to brace yourself because you're not going to like the way Jesus talks to these two. Just hold on, okay? I'll, I'll give you some context. Verse 25, he said to them, how foolish you are. Ouch. How slow to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? I mean, I read that and it's kind of like, mwah, mwah. I'm like, what are you doing? It almost seems a little rude, right? A little insensitive. Here's two sad people on the road. They've lost their hope. And all the feelers in the room, you're, I mean, you're hurting for them. But don't lose the, the thought process of Jesus. He's saying, come on, Cleopas. Come on think back. I told you the Messiah didn't come to overthrow government. That's not what he was here for. You thought the Messiah was here to overthrow the government? That's the wrong mission. You thought the Messiah was going to use military might to win a battle? You were wrong. Jesus didn't come to overthrow a government. He came to take on a bigger opponent. Sin. Sin. He came to break the barrier of sin between rebellious people and a perfect and just God. Jesus came to actually use the tool of suffering to show the world the difference between a God who wanted to be served and a God who said, I actually came to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. Come on, Cleopas, come on, buddy, wake up. All that stuff we talked about, it's happening right in front of you. There's a bigger story going on here than the one you're walking towards Emmaus. I mean, come on, Cleopas. Come on, Mary. Think about it just a second. Put all the pieces together. The world's broken, but God is not. One of my heroes just passed away. Dr. Eugene Peterson wrote so many books and as a pastor, he has, he has transformed my life in so many ways just by flipping through the books that he wrote. 
He's probably most famous for the message translation of the Bible. Dr. Eugene Peterson was an incredible linguist, but his final labor of love for the kingdom of God was was to, to step back and just take everything he knew about the languages and allow the word of God just, just to pour through him. So he wrote this thing called the message. Sometimes I quote it here. It's a beautiful paraphrase of scripture. Dr. Peterson just passed away a few months ago or a few weeks ago. At his funeral, his son, Leif, surprised everyone in the room when he announced to them, he goes, you think that my dad had all of these messages because of all the books that he wrote, but he fooled all of you because my dad only had one message. He only had one sermon. The sermon was a secret that Leif said his dad had let him in on early in his life. It was a message that Leif said his dad would whisper in his heart for 50 years. It was a message that he would sneak in late at night into Leif's bedroom and pray over him when he was a little boy. And it was always the same message. God loves you. God is on your side. He's coming after you and he's relentless. The same message. God loves you. God is on your side. He's coming after you and he is relentless. Don't be foolish, Cleopas. I need you to catch up with me. There's so much going on, but this is the one thing you need to know. All of this stuff from the beginning of the Bible till now has one message. God loves you. God is on your side. He's coming after you and he is relentless. Now listen to the scripture in verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets... He explained to them what was said in all of the scriptures concerning himself. From the beginning of the book, Adam and Eve in the garden, confronted with sin for the very first time, all the way through all of the prophets until that moment, Jesus says there has been one message, one story over and over and over again. God loves you. God is on your side. He's coming after you and he is relentless. Every single page of the Old Testament points to this person in the New Testament who had one message. I love you. I'm on your side. I'm coming after you and I am relentless. One of my favorite names for Jesus that was coined by a great biblical theologians said he, they called him the hound of heaven. Rebel, you can run as fast as you want to. He will chase you. He will hunt you down. He's relentless in his pursuit of those that he wants to have in his family, even to the point of enduring suffering. Jesus was a suffering savior. Why? so that your and my suffering would make sense so that we could find hope in the midst of the brokenness. He just starts pointing to all the different stories. I was here, I was here. They couldn't see me, but I was here. It seemed invisible in this moment. I seemed silent in this moment, but I was not absent. I was here, I was here, I was here, I was here, I was here. He just keeps pointing all the fingerprints of God that are all over all of the stories. And then they get to Emmaus. Verse 28 makes me giggle. It says, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further. (laughs) You know why that's funny to me? Because Jesus knows everything. He knows exactly where he's going. He knows before they say anything out loud where they're going to invite him and what is going to happen in that moment. 
He knows your prayer before you speak it. He knows your plan before you do it. He is God, and let's never, ever forget that fact. Jesus continued on as if he was going farther. I just picture it in my brain, right? He's just walking. He's like, wait for it. Wait for it. Hey, do you want to come to dinner? Sure, I would love to come to your house for dinner. Don't miss the point. Hope always waits for an invitation. It waits for an invitation. The Bible says, verse 29, but they urged him strongly, as if they had to, but they urged him strongly, stay with us. It's nearly evening. The day's almost over. So he went in to stay with them. You know, the hope of Jesus comes when you invite him into your hopelessness. I've learned this about God. He's a gentleman. He will not force himself on you. He wants you to invite him in. I know many of you in this room, I hope and pray, have invited Jesus into the center of your soul, into your heart. I have a challenge for you. Have you ever invited him into your hopelessness? Have you invited him into the heartbreak? Have you invited him into the disillusionment? Have you invited him into those deeply painful places that you don't think you're ever going to find healing? Have you given him full permission to come in and dine with you in the heartbreak of your life? I pray that you will, because if you do, my Bible tells me there will be a moment when hope is realized, when it's not lost anymore. Here's how it happened for our two friends. Verse 30 says, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Don't miss the significance of this moment. Jesus broke bread at another time, didn't he? At the first communion. This is my body, which is broken for you. What was the message of the broken body of Jesus? God loves you. God is on your side. God is coming after you, and he is relentless. It's the message of communion every time we remember. He's relentless, even to the point of being broken. So he breaks bread, and then the Bible says these words. Then their eyes were opened. I love that phrase. And let me tell you why. All the way back in the book of Genesis, another couple had their eyes opened, Adam and Eve. It's the same phrase, exactly the same phrase. When the eyes of Adam and Eve were opened, all they saw was sin. They saw their nakedness. They saw how exposed they were. They saw that they had made a decision to divorce God from their life, from their path. They pushed him away, and we've been living with the consequences ever since and adding our own sin to the pile. I mean, their eyes were opened, and sin was obvious. But in this moment, with a new couple, Cleopas and Mary, their eyes are opened, and they don't see sin. They see a Savior. They see a savior. And that's what gives us hope. The world may be broken, but God is not. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. Could you imagine being able to eavesdrop on that conversation when the word of God 
opens up his own logos and speaks to you from his own perspective. You know what's amazing about that? The Holy Spirit will do it for you today. Open the word of God and he just reveals himself over and over and over again. Verse 33, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. One more piece here. I know something about hope. It grows courage. They were already home. They made it home. They get through dinner. Jesus shows up and all of a sudden a couple of regular ordinary human beings have some courage infused inside of them. And instead of staying away from Jerusalem where it's dangerous and there's persecution, they start beating a path right back into the heart of it. You know why? Because they've got hope. He's alive. He's alive. They walk right back into it because hope inspires regular people to change the world. And the story wraps up with these words. In Jerusalem, they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it's true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Courage inspires hope and hope-filled people change the world. You've been doing it all year. You've been doing it all year. Earlier this year, we took another offering before the blessing offering. We did a missions offering earlier this year. And you gave in record amounts to it, and we sent it away to missionaries around the world. And every time we do that, they bring hope into places that didn't have hope. Can I show you a picture? This is my friend John Mulcalway. He's a hero. He's a hero. He's doing something here called a jigger treatment. Jiggers is a parasite that's in the ground in the dusty paths of Africa, and it infects the feet of children and adults. The little boy who was receiving this treatment could not walk when he showed up. And then hope arrived in the form of a man named John who had a treatment to take care of jiggers that you paid for. And that little boy walked home because a group of people showed up with enough courage to bring hope into his broken story. I think that's awesome. And I think you're pretty amazing to actually see that happen. And I'm not even anywhere done yet. Let's, we're just getting started. I'd like to show you a picture of Pastor Samsauk and his wife. Sorry about the resolution. It was taken on a little tiny cheap phone camera. They're unloading boxes. In those boxes are Thai life application NIV Bibles that you paid for. And every single one of the pastors in the 250 house churches that we are planting in the Pechabun province of Thailand have a Bible because you were willing to take a crazy risk, think about hope, summon some courage, give above and beyond your ability to be able to give. You were generous to a fault, and now they're holding Bibles in their hands and teaching and preaching because of what Jesus has done for them. And just two weeks ago, they had another baptism. I showed you a picture earlier of a baptism about three or four weeks ago. They had another baptism and they baptized 444 people in one day. 
in one day. Church, if you're going to clap, actually clap. Come on now. Every single one of those 444 people were infected by a message of hope. It said, God loves you. God is for you. God is coming after you, and he is relentless. I love this story. The lives of two people who were transformed with the hope of Jesus. And now you have an opportunity to do it again every year. For the last 15 that I've been here and longer than that, I mean, we have had an opportunity to do something called the CTK blessing. I tell you this every single year. You think it's just a greed envelope. It's not. It's Mike and Danette's miracle. It's what it is. And we have been blessed to be a blessing and whether we can do a little or whether we can do a lot, every time we show up with a blessing for somebody who thinks they've lost all of their hope, we get to tell them a message. God loves you. God is for you. He's coming after you. And he's relentless. I'll close with this because I got to wrap up. Building hope on anything other than Jesus is a decision to just become more and more hopeless. I don't know if you figured this out yet. If you haven't, let me try to catch you up like Jesus tried to catch up Cleopas. Don't put your hope in systems, processes, houses, princes, or kings. They will let you down. When are we going to learn? It's all going to burn. And there'll be nothing left to say, but Lord, take me home. If you build a foundation on anything other than the solid rock of Jesus, I promise you, you're just going to end up more and more hopeless. So what's the alternative? Put your hope in a God who loves you, who's on your side, who's coming after you, and who is relentless. Listen to King David, figure it out in Psalm 39, verse 7. But now, Lord, what do I look for? Where do I go for hope? And then he says it, my hope is in you. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. As you're leaving today, that collage that they made with the words, my hope is built, is hanging in the commons. There's about 450 little tiny tiles that created that collage. Saturday night, you're gonna get your first opportunity Okay, I would love it if some of you would walk out to that, that collage and grab one of the black markers and on one single tile, write one thing that gives you hope. Just write something. I would write the name John McCallway. John gives me hope. I would write Pastor Sumsauk's name. He gives me hope every single day that while the world may be broken, God is most certainly not. I would encourage you just to write one. If we have to add more tiles, we will. If you need to write on the paper around it, I don't care. Just this is what I know. When you look for hope, you see more of it. And you may not know who needs to stand in front of that collage tomorrow morning, but they might stand there and look at your particular tile and that might bring them hope in a world that seems pretty hopeless. My wife and I were out for a walk 
earlier this year. We walked into the Big Rock Garden in Bellingham. Anybody been to the Big Rock Garden before? It's kind of like an icon in Bellingham, right? Of course, you've been to the Big Rock. If you haven't been to the Big Rock Garden, where have you been and what are you doing in Bellingham, right? You got to go check out the Big Rock Garden. We noticed something there that I'd heard about but forgotten about. There's a sculpture in the Big Rock Garden in Bellingham. The name of it is Hope. And starting in a couple of weeks, we're going to tell a story about a mom, a teenager, who thought her situation was hopeless because she was pregnant. And the God of the universe showed up and into her hopeless situation gave her hope. Merry Christmas. <laughs> and just so you know, the person who made that sculpture is hiding behind camera number two. Hi, Scott. And God bless you for making that beautiful piece so that we could find some hope even in the big rock garden in Bellingham. Over the next couple of weeks, I don't know about you, but I live in a pretty hopeless world. I hope and pray that God will use these words to bring some hope into your heart. Because if he can talk to two people on the road to Emmaus, I'm pretty sure he could talk to you on your way home. And he has one message. God loves you. God is on your side. God is coming after you and he is relentless. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for this time together. Lord, on a long weekend when we honor veterans, I thank you that you're still saying the same message, that you love us, that you're on our side, that you're coming after us and you are relentless. May we be agents of hope just like Cleopas and Mary were. Lord, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. May we find that firm foundation all week long. I pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Thanks again for watching. We're so glad that you joined us today. Once again, we hope you'll get involved in biblical face-to-face -face community wherever you happen to be today. If you'd like more information about Christ the King Community Church, if you'd like to give online, or if you'd like to submit a prayer request, or even get connected in a small group, you can find out more about us at ctk.church.